Hey everyone, welcome to What Are You Watching? I'm Alex Withrow and I'm joined by my best man, Nick Dostal. How you doing there, Ernest Burkhart? <laughs> oh, you son of a bitch. Oh my God. You, that's not fair. That's not fair. Uh, you, you set you me gotta up for it. You ruin the year. <laughs> you set me up for it. Or we got to provide a little insight. No, I guess maybe we'll no, get to it. I don't know. We'll get to it. We'll get to it. All right. Eventually. Eventually. I guess we'll say I'm not happy with all of the movie characters that you could have gone with that you gave me that one. <laughs> I only did it because we talked about it recently. Uh, yes, we will. We'll get there in one fashion or another, but top 10 films of 2023. I can't believe it. Here we are. Uh, what a ride. Since we've been doing this podcast, it has been harder to do these specific episodes than ever. Like we didn't get to do a top 10 of 2019, which would have been, no. that, that was an embarrassment of riches. We started <laughs> this shit right in the worst year movies possible because yes, there was a global pandemic on and on. But I will say that in the last three top 10 lists that we've done, top 10s of the year, you know, 2020, 21, 22, it's been a bit of a struggle to maybe come up with 10 films that I'm giving my full endorsement on. Just yes. ones where I'm like, I'm going to watch these forever. I'm going to love these forever because I go back and look at those lists and I'm like, shit, I only saw that once. And, you know, I, I still stand by the list, but my point is this is the first year that we've had this podcast where it was not a struggle to come up with a top 10. And actually I was, I had a few that I had to cut and I went, all right, oh. we're only doing 10. Like I got to cut down and that's a really good thing. So this was a, this was a really good movie year. The best new movie year we've had by far since we started the pod. I, I believe, I believe I completely agree. I believe I do. I believe <laughs> I, uh, I think <laughs> I, I am not happy with some of the cuts that I've actually had to make. I've oh, had okay. to I had to make a list that I felt was true to me yep. and that meant that some things had to go and I don't like it. But that's a good problem to have because we'll still talk about yes, those movies. Um I'm prepared for anything on a Nick Dostal top ten. As you should the be. Beastmaster was one that you, you Ooh. know, crushed me with. Top ten of nineteen eighty two. Hell yeah. That was great. What a what a fun watch. That was on Amazon. I watched it like that weekend. Uh Mark Singer killed it in that movie. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I'm prepared for anything. Um, all right, 2023. We did not talk about this. We have not shared just because we are friends. You are going to have an idea of what's on my list. I'm going to have some idea of what's on yours. If you've listened to the podcast throughout the year, you're going to have some ideas of what's going to be on our list and maybe even the order, but we have not specifically talked about it. That's what makes it fun for us. So I bring this next thing up tentatively because the only narrative I have for the year is was the narrative of the year. It was a monoculture movie narrative, which was that Barbenheimer came out and took over for, for a weekend, a week, a month. It dominated the whole year. And I just wanted to highlight that because one of those movies is not going to appear on my list. And it would just be good to kind of <gasps> say, I'm really happy. Oppenheimer's not going to be on your list? <laughs> yeah, right, right. I've had a total, I mean, God, I've just had a total, talk about about face. Jesus Christ, what a piece of shit. <laughs> 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 no, one of those movies is not going to be on my list. And that's not to slight it at all. And we don't have to dive deep into it. I'm just saying, I really loved Barbenheimer as it was happening. I got to actually have a Barbenheimer day that weekend, that Sunday with my aunt, which was great. And I got to engage with people about movies that I either never had or hadn't with in years. And it was a lot of fun. And a lot of that, yes, was because of Barbie. If anything, honestly, 
I think what was helped most in all of that was Oppenheimer. And I yeah. don't think that was the initial I, I don't think that was what was anticipated by anyone, uh, especially Nolan. But I think a lot of people made it a thing. A lot of people who would have never gone to see Oppenheimer went to see it. Barbie's box office numbers were definitely bigger. It grossed a billion dollars. It's a huge movie. But I bet it still would have grossed a billion dollars without Barbenheimer. Maybe I'm way wrong. I don't know. But I'm all respect to both movies. I can't believe it worked out. Keep in mind, the only reason that happened is because Warner Brothers, which released <laughs> Barbie, and they would not relinquish the release date. Oppenheimer had the release date first, and then Barbie came along, and it was supposed to be a fuck you that turned into a multi-billion dollar woo-hoo. <laughs> yep. It was uh, something of the likes that you just don't see today in movies, unless you're talking about, um, you know, something like the Marvel movies, like the mm -hmm. brand new Marvel movie. But you, but even then, there's no competition. Like yeah. that, that movie, if if a Marvel movie is coming out, that's the only thing people are going to see like that month. And the craze that that brings is this very specific fandom, which has earned its reputation over the last Jesus over 25 years. Yeah, 15 is about when it started. And Marvel, finish your point, but Marvel's an interesting thing to bring up in 2023 as well. Yeah, it is. Yes. And, but you're talking about this Barbenheimer craze, which I do think that is Barbie is responsible for. Yes. I think Oppenheimer would have done just fine, but I don't think it would have done the numbers that it would have done if it wasn't met with this right. thing. But you're also, and we talked about this, but it's worth mentioning again, two original movies. Mm -hmm. These were not, I mean, they were based in other things like Mattel and then um, the American Prometheus, like their source materials here. But you're talking about two movies that had no franchise, no, right. well, Barbie might become one, but um Nothing leading into it, just two original movies, and I can't remember the last time we saw that. I can't either. Um, my last, I was you just mentioned it, I was not going to mention this, but this 2023 was the definitive year that the tide has turned on the comic book movie, on Marvel, yeah. on all of that stuff, because the fans just didn't like their releases. I don't know all the names of the movies, I apologize, but... We have talked about a little on Mike, but, you know, that has been the number one thing in film since basically 2008, since the first Iron Man, at least. I'm not saying that was the first superhero movie or comic book movie, but that's what started this whole craze. And I think that may have broken. And I don't know how. I don't know if comic book movies are going to dominate the industry anymore. We're going to see, but they aren't right now. And they have for the past 15 years. So I, I don't know. It seems to me from a very, very outside perspective looking in is that it seems like everything's changing. Yeah. It seems yeah. like the the casts that people have fallen in love with are winding down. Yeah. Do, do we really want to start this whole entire thing over for another 20, 30 years with a brand I, new? I don't know. I don't. I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think so. I, we're again, we'll see. And I'm not saying they will still make and release those movies every year. But I don't know if that's what every studio head in Hollywood is going to be, if that's going to be their main profit margin going forward. I don't know. But I do feel a tide turning. And I have not felt that. I, I've ne I have not felt this like comic book craze slowly dying down that tide turning in since 2008. Genuinely.
I guess the question is, is that I feel the same way, but I don't see anything on the horizon. I don't see. Yeah. What could take it over? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, wouldn't it be great if we went back to like auteur cinema and they started giving (laughs) like, you know, 30, 40 million dollars to all of our favorite directors again. And then we didn't have to hear about them fighting tooth and nail to get these movies made. They were just like giving, you know, giving it to them like the. Wow. yeah, can you imagine? That's what, that's what was happening when we were growing up. But I get it. Businesses change. This business model of Hollywood and film changed completely. But yeah, yeah I mean, like a great example of this. It's on my list. I, I imagine it's going to be on your list. And then we are going to get to the top 10. We'll stop the introduction. Poor Things is a great example of this. That's a director who's proved himself. And then they gave him 35 to 40 million dollars to make that movie and it's a movie everyone's talking about it's a movie that is extremely true to the director's vision and it didn't break anyone's bank doing it but they have they do not make those movies very often anymore because Mm -hmm. they think there's not an audience for them and uh, you know i would love just more poor things like a lot more of that that's you know well it doesn't have to be exactly like that but just give these really talented filmmakers a budget to do something with, not like $5 million, which is not a lot of money to make a movie. And, you know, just a little more to where they can attract some name stars. They'll get you some Oscar nominations. Yeah, maybe the tide turns that way. I doubt it, but I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. 2024 is going to be a really, really rough year, though, because of the strike hangovers. Yeah. People need to know that. Like, there's a the wheel of production takes a long time. So stuff that's being in pre-production being written in 2023 and then maybe even filmed during then that's what was to come out in 2024 so there's going to be a lot of stuff that just doesn't come out yeah and then 2025 will be a shitload but we'll see yeah we'll see let's talk about 2023 top 10 i'm excited you want to go first of course i'm gonna go first because that's the way that i roll all right all right again 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 we do this every year we do this every year as anyone who listens to this podcast know, we do not talk about movies sometimes in the sense of like, this is the greatest movie ever. So this is why it's on here. Yes. This is very personal. This is just this is just our favorites that we like to have conversations about. Now, there will obviously be points where we will think that this was on a filmmaking level the best movie of the year. But yeah, the lists themselves are just personal to each other. Which is why it's only fitting that my number 10 movie of the year is none other than Steven Soderbergh's Magic Mike's Last Dance. Fuck yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I had no idea where you were going. You're not going to get any argument from me. I fucking loved that movie. I saw it twice in the theater. Oh, it was great. Uh, Because this movie just fucking rocks as the whole goddamn trilogy does. Oh my god, this is great. No one saw it. No one went out to go see this, and I don't think I expected anyone to. We did a whole entire pod episode on this mm-hmm. movie this year. We sure did. We sure did. Um episode 88, it did not yep. get the most listens, but that's okay. That's, that's right. okay. We promised the dedicated loyal listeners that we would do it, and we did it. And then we moved And we on. did it, and I regret nothing. <laughs> of course. Looking at it now as this trilogy, you have three wildly different movies. Yeah. You have the first one, which is a movie that everyone wanted to be one thing and turned out to be this really, really good art house movie that just happened to showcase male strippers. Mm-hmm. So the backlash of that was where's the party movie we all wanted. Then you get that with Magic Mike XXL. Yep. 
which has some of the coolest like choreography and just oh some of God. the funnest like entertaining. So you just got like you got like the beach movie. You got like the big party. Then he does this and it's nothing like any of the other two in any sort of way, shape or form. It's mature. It's it's romantic. It's it's cool. It's just it's something that just what the fuck is this movie coming out <laughs> yeah. of nowhere? <laughs> yeah. It's very Bob Fosse, very like um, all that jazz. Yeah. And I just really, really loved it. I really thought it was this really sexy and well done movie that didn't ask a lot. Mm -hmm. It didn't it didn't try to be something so grandiose either. Yeah. Now, there's movies that I've kept out of this list that I do think are better movies. But for me personally... I knew that this movie was going to be in my top 10 list when I saw it in February. Yeah. And I go, there's no way it's not going to be. I have to give this movie the love it deserves. So <laughs> everyone, go see all the Magic Mike movies. Yeah. And finish with this and tell me that it's not on yours. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. They're just fun movies. Oh, God. Yeah. Again, no complaint for me at all. This did not make my list. It is an honorable mention. Not yeah. like usually Soderbergh movie makes my top 10. But yeah, it's always a Soderbergh movie is always going to get an honorable mention at the very least, even if it doesn't sneak in there. All right. I'm going to uh, bring it down a little bit. Of course, there's no one else who can. There's no one else who can cool, <laughs> cool a pod better. Um, <laughs> in late at the very end of the year, like a few days after Christmas, I traveled to New York City. I usually get there like once every five years. Now I've coincidentally gone twice in three weeks, and I'll talk about both experiences briefly. For this trip, I went up to see a play called Danny and the Deep Blue Sea, starring none other than our <sighs> beloved Christopher Abbott and mm -hmm. Aubrey Plaza, and it was remarkable it was such a cool experience i'm glad i'm glad i got to do it and represent what are you watching there yes <laughs> but right yes. before that i mean i i honestly while i was there i made a bit of like a shame stay of it so i was like texting you pictures but you know the film shame i went to his apartment and the doorman was very nice and let me in and let me look <laughs> at the elevator bay i stayed at the hotel he stayed at i went to his metro station uh, that was it it was great <laughs> but in the <laughs> But in the middle of the day, I went to the Angelica Theater and saw an absolutely fucking harrowing movie called The Zone of Interest. Oh, what? I thought you I thought you didn't like this. I know. I know. I know this. I've had it. This is like the biggest about face I've had of the year. All I knew about this is that it's a movie about the Holocaust. It's made by Jonathan Glazer, who did Sexy Beast, Birth and Under the Skin. And it's rated PG-13. So I was like, how can you have a harrowing movie about the Holocaust that's rated PG-13? Theater sold out. It's a respectful New York crowd. And the movie is, you know, seemingly nice family living their lives. You, There's a husband and wife. They got a bunch of kids running around. They have guests over. There's a garden that the wife maintains. They go swimming. And it, you're just watching this for like a while, not realizing what is really going on. And then you come to realize that this quaint little home that they have shares, actually shares a bricked wall border with Auschwitz. And the year is 1943. And the seemingly nice family we're watching is that of Rudolf Haas, the commander of Auschwitz. So what I came to realize while watching it is that this movie is truly about the banality of evil. It's that 
I mean, the biggest like tiff or conflict in this movie is that the guy might be relocated, so they might move the house. There is absolutely no discussion of thousands of people being murdered every day. It, so this is why I probably my reaction to you wasn't a full endorsement because w- like what they've done here and what he's done is someone gave Jonathan Glazer a, you know, a bunch of money or a few million dollars and he went off and made a 105 minute long avant-garde movie that because that's what this is there is very little actual conflict being discussed and the terror that you can imagine from auschwitz is all realized in sound so you will hear screams you will hear people being shot in the distance you will hear fire starting you will hear all this stuff but it's nothing that would be gruesome enough to warn an r rating it's still pg-13 and it's all like appropriate for where if you were in the house where you'd be able to hear the sounds it's um it's really fucking out there it's a really trippy movie some of the most impressive sound i've heard of the way he shot the movie was extremely unique apparently he just had like five cameras locked off within the house and hidden so most of the shots in the movie are still, and there was no visible crew on set, including the director. So everyone just behaved like they were a family. They gardened, they made meals, they did all of that. And they knew where the cameras were, but that that was it. You know, they weren't directed to do anything other than behave like a family. Wow. The way that I described that movie, in ter- like, it, this is not a suspense movie. This is not a thriller. This is not anything. And I think it could upset some people that there's no, like, ramifications that we see happen to these people it but wow what a supremely unique film sandra huller who is the lead of anatomy of a fall she plays yeah. the wife yeah. so it's it was great to see her christian friedel played haas i mean it, it's just you know if you've seen his other movies you know you're in for something really unique and strange under the skin is very bizarre i've actually rewatched those three movies leading up to this episode yeah, the zone of interest. I, it's something that's going to be out now more. I cannot imagine. I cannot imagine watching it at home and it keeping your attention the whole time. It's it. It could you know lose you. So, but give it a shot. It it's different. It, it does some shit at the end that I have. I could not believe he was doing it. I just in its um in its simplicity, not gruesome, not shocking, in its simplicity to where you could I could see and hear people around the theater, pockets of people around the theater getting what he was doing and understanding. And I was like, oh wow, that's that is a move of genius, but we're talking artistic genius, like avant-garde genius, like think more like Steve McQueen's hunger, where, you know. You're like looking at something on the wall and it's like this cool like mural and you're like, what's that? And then it, as the camera pushes back, you're like, oh, that's human feces on the wall. That's what I'm looking at. Great. It's kind of like that, you know? Well, I mean, shit, man. I guess the only thing I have to say about this is next time you see a movie, just wait a couple days before you text me about it. <laughs> yeah, because there's no real narrative to it. There's no real like formal structure and that's what i thought it was going to be i shouldn't have thought that from a jonathan glazer movie so yeah walking out of it i was a little cold but maybe more so than any movie this year that thing has never left my head and it did not leave my head and i probably should have like clued you into it been like hey this one's kind of creeping up but so it, it's like it's a 10 that's kind of you know i i really wanted to talk about it more than anything there are probably better movies that could take up this spot and that were there for a while and i went fuck i think i'm gonna add the zone of interest but again like this is because like time obviously had part uh played a huge 
role in this. A huge part. Even the few weeks. It's only been like a few weeks. And yeah, it did. It played a huge part. Not a very rewatchable film, though. Trust me. Trust me. Well, and I think that's something to be said, too, because I've like some of the movies that I've actually put on this list were for that reason, where it's sort of like yeah. I, it, it didn't leave my head. And um, and that's the mark of something special, to be honest. Yeah. Like if films can do that, that's really when you kind of know you saw something, even if you can't understand it at first. You're sort of like, why am I still thinking about this or these sounds or images? And yeah, that's huge. Yeah. It makes me want to see it now. <laughs> yeah. Well, shit. We And we do say this a lot about different aspects of film, but the sound in the zone of interest is a character. Like, I cannot imagine how much they spin on it. It really is a character. Not just like the, you're, not just the terrifying stuff you're hearing. There's a lot of droning going on. It's very effective. Yeah. But a weird movie. It's weirder than shit. It's weird. I like weird. I like weird. I like All right, number nine from you. I spent <laughs> I spent too long on that one. Number nine. Um. All right. So this is going to be a great one. I've been looking forward to this one. I didn't know if it was going to happen or not. You have, and and I'm not going to say that you're wrong here. Oh boy. But I have an occasion been accused of recency bias. Me or you? you? No, me. Me. You oh, too. Actually, I, I have accused <laughs> you of it. I go the other way. I am usually much harder on something. Zone of interest. Case in point. I'm usually this like case eh, in point. Meh. And then I'll my about face will usually be like I'll warm up to something. You can sometimes come in really hot in favor of a movie and then I'll ask you about it a year later and you're like which one was that <laughs> yeah no that's true that's true um but this one because just we we have been te- te- texting about it and I did just finish watching it this morning so but um I still stand by it that's fair I my number nine is past lives I did enjoy it it's not it's not on my list there, I don't have anything against it I I will be you know we're not going to talk about the Oscars too much on this episode because the Oscar nominations are just in a few days so I'm interested to see how this one does yeah I this is my kind of movie uh-huh. this is just it's really I I dig like the whole what if mm-hmm. in 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 life the exploration of that to me, I think, is more special when it's not being said. And this movie is all about what's not being said. Like, yeah. And it, it reminded me of personal things that I felt in like the younger parts of my life. So anytime that movies can do this shit to me is just when I eat it up. I yeah. like the like I can live with what the movie's giving me versus like what I'm kind of in the back of my mind getting introspective on. So I was thinking of so many different things that were beautiful in my life and the what ifs and all of that. So this movie was just sort of mirroring all of that. And I really enjoyed the performances. Mm-hmm. I thought Greta Lee, I couldn't take my eyes off of her. Tao Yu, who played mm-hmm. the, the, yeah. the, the main lead as uh, the, the actor, so expressive. I, I just every time he smiled at her, it was as if like his heart was breaking with every smile. Like I liked how simple it was. I liked how lived in it felt from all of the characters. So that is my reason for it being on my top ten. Good. I'm glad you got to check it out. I know you were I know you were determined to get that one in before we recorded this. So that's yeah. good. And I don't 
if you would have put it at like one or two, then I would have been on you about recency bias. But having <laughs> yeah, it here, yeah, yeah. like it's making, my, I think, most people's top 10 of the year. A lot of people like this. I was getting a little nervous that it could be about what the Academy would do with it. But I think it's going to be a pretty reasonable response. I don't, I don't know if she's going to sneak in there at Actress, maybe. But original screenplay would be their best, you know, bet. All right, my next one, my number nine, I have a feeling is going to be our first crossover and we'll see because if you liked first reformed and he liked the card counter you must finish paul schrader's modern day lonely man trilogy with master gardener i like this movie you're raising your hands in in enjoyment i like this movie when i saw it i saw it in the theater and then it actually took you watching it because it's been on hulu like for months you watching you're like man i'm really digging this and i went okay let me let, all right let me go back and give it a rewatch and i went oh this has to make my top 10 like this thing is just it's so like eerie i mean uh, there's like a heaviness to these three movies beyond just the material it's like the sounds that come over the yeah. soundtrack will do like those groans yep. or those odd moans it's the really trippy camera work sometimes you know the those crazy like fisheye lenses um, that he'll use in the card counter or I mean even when they're like floating and first reformed and then yeah. in this one just those really long takes where you're like what the hell's gonna happen he's like driving this car like what's gonna happen but yeah I, I really enjoyed this movie and I'm just always down for Paul Schrader and he did it again like if you like those movies first reformed yeah. the card counter you gotta check this out I think this is a very fair uh, time to talk about this one because this is in my top 10 as well. All right. Sweet. And it's only it's only two movies ahead. So I have it at number seven. So I oh, think that's if, awesome. <laughs> if it's your nine and my seven, this is a good time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's do it. So this is this is an interesting uh I did the majority of my 2023 movie watching um during the uh last week of December because <laughs> I had off from work. I had a paid 10-day vacation, which is awesome. But I got sick as fuck and I couldn't go anywhere, do anything with my entire vacation. (laughs) So the reason why I'm laughing is because the whole time I'm on like my shame adventure in New York, like staying at the standard and stuff. You're just like texting me. You're like, I just knocked this one off. Boom. Just did this. And I was like, who the fuck are you, man? You're watching like four 2023 movies a day. You're like, boom, just watch this. Not for me. Boom. Just watch this. That would suck. Boom. Oh, it was great. And yeah, this was in in your list. That's right. (laughs) I honestly now looking back have a great great fondness of that time because yeah, of yeah. the, my time I spent with movies. And so that's a testament to this year, good or bad. But <laughs> one of my absolute favorite experiences was this movie. This movie, much like Paul Schrader, is not for everybody. No. It is extremely slow. It is the slowest of burns. Um, so if you like that, then this is for you. Which is what I had a problem with in the theater, but did not have a problem with when I watched it a second oh. time. I think maybe because I knew it was going to be slow, but I totally agree. It is slow. It's slow. Yeah. it's it, And um, First Reformed, I liked that movie a lot, but I think we spoke about this way back when. Um, when I saw that in theaters, it was a terrible experience in theaters because it was so quiet and slow. Mm-hmm. There was a dude snoring next oh, to me Christ. that I couldn't shake. <laughs> So um, so that being said, it does kind of require a bit of attention mm-hmm. if you like that thing. But it's it, even as slow as it is, it's all intentional. Like there's no there's no wasted motion or space. 
Right. Even when you're wandering through this garden, which I love, by the way, which is like, I'm, at least from what I was seeing, like not the most impressive garden. No, that's what was so cool. <laughs> he was just so like into it. Like he had reformed his, he had changed his life and like this is now become yeah. his thing. But yeah, it wasn't, we're not like in the Garden of Versailles or something. It wasn't yeah. Like, yeah, it wasn't it, a massive thing. Yeah. No, a testament to Paul Schrader's writing. He's so good at, at having whoever his main characters are, their world lived in and the people in it. But then like right when you think that you understand or not understand, but you feel like you know what everything is, bam, that's when he hits you with someone says something differently. Their behavior changes in a way that you just did not expect. That's exactly what happened in that movie. Like Sigourney Weaver said one thing and I sat up in my seat and I went, wait, what? I was I was. And you think you're watching one movie and then you're like, wait a minute, huh? Where's this going? Yeah, this is, yeah, great insight. I love this. And this is what this movie does throughout the entire time is as soon as you think you're comfortable knowing somebody or understanding something, it will change. And then once that piece of information is either said or revealed, there is no going back. You can't unsee or unthink or unknow what has now been revealed. And yeah. in terms of that, I don't want to spoil anything for this reason, because this is the reason to see the movie. There is a moment in the movie it is through a reveal that I genuinely got so disgusted and um, appalled and shocked by that it, it almost made me feel sick. You can just don't say what's revealed, but are, are you talking about the taking the shirt off thing? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 It's a revelation about one of the main characters of the movie. And um, and there's nothing like grotesque. There's nothing mm, no. like gory. There's nothing like your eyes can't handle. But the way that Schrader is setting you up. Mm-hmm. And then when you get this piece of information, it's so shocking because you're like, I did not expect that. And now that I know this. What am I supposed to do? Exactly. Am, exactly. And that's the whole movie. That's the yeah. whole movie. And you're watching these very, very human people deal with that. And it's fucking great. It's fucking great. Ah, I love this movie. Travis Bickle does a good thing at the end and he's valorized for it. But is that a good guy? Like, is it? Yeah. Is, it <laughs> is, is that a good dude? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. That's yep. the point of that movie. Like, that's the point. And, you know, I... Master Gardener, it was just such risky material to me in a yes. lot in a lot of the ways you're describing. But that I thought for Schrader, he handled it with so much poise, way more yes. poise than I expected. His way supporting more. cast in these movies are so unique. And Sigourney Weaver here oh. is better than I've seen her be on film in years. And it's not like some, you know, huge part. And it's a very still, yeah. all about careful language and even like just her last scene, I, I really, really enjoyed her in it. She really knew what the assignment was and mm-hmm. handled it very well. So did so did Joel Edgerton. He's he's just great. He's always great. His part was very, very tricky. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think that's also Schrader. You know, he always talks about how it's all about withholding and um and you can feel that restraint and, and then when it boils out of him, it's so satisfying. Yeah. Oh yeah. All right, so that was good. That was my number nine, your number seven, but that leads us to your number eight. Yes. You know, one thing that we, you know, talk or we didn't say that I want to say about 2023, there are some really, really good movies. And then there's just like, 
This was a great year for fun movies, too. Okay, great. Of course, there are none of those and on my list. There, there's one. Or I two, know this is why. This is why you have me. This is <laughs> yes, why I'm is, here. I, I, I bring up the levity. Um, I I absolutely loved this movie when I saw it in theaters, and when it came oh. out, I was like, "This might be one of my favorite movies of the year. I'll have a hard time beating this." And it's still here, and that is Ben Affleck's Air. Oh, okay, cool, cool. I didn't know if that was going to get mentioned on this episode. That's great. You know. Just a really light, yes. easy time at the movies. Yes. That's cool that it made your list. That's it's cool. a supremely enjoyable movie. You know, Ben Affleck has got a hell of a career for himself as a director, and he's never done anything like this. Mm-hmm. I think it's actually pretty tough to make a movie that um, is this light and airy, so to speak, <laughs> but actually still carry a level of stakes. Mm-hmm. Like, Matt Damon's performance in this movie is truly amazing and I don't I don't think I don't think Damon ever gets enough credit even though everyone I talks fucking about love him. Damon. I love Damon. I love him so much. Everyone knows that he's one of the top America's film movie stars. Like he's been like that forever. But like if you really go and watch anything he does, the weight of the story of the movie always falls on him and he always carries it better than anybody. Like, oh, this movie would not work. No one gives a shit about Michael Jordan's shoes choice he's going to make. <laughs> right, right. Like, this is the plot of the movie is where is Michael Jordan going to choose to take his, like, you know, image and likeness to represent. His business, yeah. And yet, when you're on the ride of this movie, Matt Damon is just like, the, you are so compelled by how this is going to make this happen, this team of people that's trying to get this thing done, it, you're on the edge of your seat in the most exciting and light of ways where you're not feeling like it's life or death, but the stakes are that high to what you're watching. And and the whole supporting cast, you got Jason Bateman. Oh, Bateman's great. I love Bateman. Chris Tucker. Chris Tucker. Your boy. What's his name? Chris Mancina. Yes, your boy. I love Chris Mancini. I know you do. He's He's great. Fucking great actor. He's great. Air is kind of the the type of movie I referenced in the beginning. This had a $90 million budget, but they were pretty open with 40. Half of that was to pay the talent. So everyone made their rate in this movie, which is like, you know, Damon, you better be given a good performance. He made fucking bank off this movie. Like he got, he got paid. And then the other half is for production budget. So that's like, you know, if we took the talent out of it, you're looking at like a $45, $50 million movie, but it's that mid-range, mid-range budget movie that made them famous. That's what Goodwill Hunting is. That's what, you know, a lot of the, some of the later Kevin Smith movies, Dogma, like those are the type of movies that made these guys famous. Just let them do it again because Affleck, I think his directing career, it, it's gone sort different sorts of ways. My it favorite has. is still Gone Baby Gone and then The Town. I really like those two. Yeah. He's done some a little more recent where I'm like, what's kind of going on here? But like, mm-hmm. yes, let him Amazon. Thank you. You gave him 90 million and you let him cook and he delivered a really just enjoyable movie. There was like yep. nothing wrong with it. It was totally enjoyable. It's a movie about marketing that's filmed almost exclusively in like office parks. Like it yeah. shouldn't really work and it does it very well. And it does. 
And and Ben Affleck's performance himself is hilarious. Yeah, he was great. He was it's great. Really funny. He was. I like I like him doing the supporting stuff. I liked when he was in the last duel. Like I like when yep. he just pops in for a little bit. Not to say I don't like him as a lead, like I do, but he he's good at that. I think he's handling his career very well right now. Yeah. As is Damon. Oh. I would never put you alone in a room with Pash. <laughs> I love Damon. All right. So that was your number eight. Yep. My number eight, which I, I got to say, I think is going to be another spoiler for your list. And I, there's just no turning my back on Todd Haynes' <laughs> May December on Netflix, Ooh. which is truly it, <laughs> just one of the, uh, no, go ahead, go ahead. Do you, oh, no, well, wait, I'll ask you, I'll ask you one question. Would you like to hold conversation on this? Maybe which because can. this is, that's this fine. Is high. This is high. I for figured me. I, yes, I thoroughly enjoyed this much much more on a second viewing i liked it the first time and i even talked about it on this podcast but wow did it just when i knew everything that was going to happen my god i really loved it more on a second viewing but let's hold off we'll come back no problem we're gonna go to no you're your number seven no yeah we're gonna go to your number seven which was master gardener then my number seven yep. which is i know you haven't seen this one yet but you're gonna be okay godzilla minus one. Oh, one of the god. biggest sensations of the year <sighs> movie sensations of the year i know you haven't had a chance to see I know, it directed by me. takashi yamazaki this got a lot of just discussion over the year this was a huge narrative of 2023 before i get into it I'll, you know i'll just make this quick this movie has officially i'm declaring it ruined the notion of me accepting shitty cgi in movies which these marvel movies have just trained us to do we're like oh yeah but you know it's just cgi avatar the way of water that kind of belongs in its own box big jim it goes off for like years and does something that's just going to be better these marvel movies they're giving them 200 million to make this and it looks ridiculous like yeah. the latest indiana jones movie he his face looks ridiculous in that when they are de-aging him. Someone on Reddit put screenshots from the video game of Indiana Jones next to the movie, and I couldn't tell the difference. Uh. So it's like you're you're competing with video game quality with video game quality. Godzilla minus one cost fifteen million dollars to produce, and Godzilla in it looks better and more effective than the one hundred and fifty to two hundred million dollar Godzilla movies that have come out in the past ten years. The American ones. This movie's a really good movie. If you want to go to, a, if you want to see Godzilla just like fucking shit up like he does without really knowing like what's going on within him, which the American movies are so oh, like, what's Godzilla thinking? Why is he doing this? It's just yeah. like Godzilla taking over and like being mean and being bad. And it's awesome. But then there, I think the reason why it resonated with audiences so well and why it resonated with me is that there's some real human emotion to it. Real human stuff within the characters. I think it's our friend of the pod, Dan's favorite movie of the year. He said he cried the whole time that he watched it. Not wept, but, you know, cried. Now he wept. Let's use that word. He wept. He wept. Weepy baby. They are. He's re-releasing it in yes. a few days in black and white in theaters. Yep. And I'm absolutely going to see that. And this does not sound like, actually, it was not a simple like, oop, convert to black and white and post. They went into each shot and did it. And I, the movie already was pretty monochromatic it didn't have like a very vibrant color palette by design on purpose so i'm absolutely going to see that i'm really really excited and this episode will come out before that week engagement happens so i really urge people even if you didn't see it go check it out well i uh, maybe i'll um so because this has been a movie that i've been trying to get to but just yeah. haven't um i'm just going to wait and and just 
go to see, in theaters to see the black and white one. Uh, absolutely. Just do that. Yeah. I Because I very much foresee myself enjoying this movie because I've also – I just – I haven't heard a bad thing about it. I just yeah. like – Yeah. Like – Everyone loves this thing. That's the only reason I went. Yeah. Everyone can't be wrong. And yeah, I'll exactly. tell you, the first 10 minutes, the first 10 minutes, I don't use this like sarcastically. My jaw was literally dropped. It was just hanging open. And I'm like, oh, wow, this thing is not fucking around from like minute one. We're we're going in. And it just, it's great. It's a great movie. It was so oh, much fun. Yeah. So I'm, I'm very excited. And maybe this might ha- we might have to make an addendum to my list if this uh, if it keeps up. All right. Uh, that's great. My number seven, Godzilla minus one. That brings us to your number six. All right. Now, this is another one where uh, I have a feeling this is going to be higher up Ooh. on your list. Okay. Yes. It and, and to the point where you might be upset that it didn't make my top five. We are going with David Fincher's The Killer. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. I know. You want to wait? Yeah, we're going to press. We're going to hold. We're, we're going right, to hold. I'm glad we're it made hold. your list. That's good. That's good. That, that's <laughs> glad it made your list. Wait till you hear what I have to say about that movie. Oh, um, killer, well, I mean, killer fucking rocks. I mean, we did a whole episode on it. <laughs> I know we did, but we couldn't talk about the brute in the fight because we were, you know, ooh, we, we ought to be careful. Fuck that. We're opening it up, but we're going to wait. <laughs> we're going to wait. Did you know that all that right. whole beginning in Paris was all just mats? It's like it's several different shots constructed so he's not like looking at anything like the whole thing that he's at the actual actor michael like it's fucking nuts man if you watch the making of that it's absolutely nuts they're like they strung up like six different shots together it's just and you can't tell any of that again cgi i'm not forgiving crappy cgi in movies anymore because you can do it if i never the time and the resources never forgiven it never gonna forgive number six for me yes Another one that I think might make both of our lists. We'll see my favorite film debut of the year. And that is a very recent follower of the What Are You Watching Twitter ah, feed. The writer-director, yes. Chloe Dumont, her film Fair Play, which we've talked about back and forth on various episodes throughout the year. I saw it first and recommended it. You saw it and recommended it. I love this movie. I rewatched it a few yep. days ago and was like... Yeah, it still definitely hits. I I love this. Fair play. This is perfect. This is my number five. So awesome. Yes. Yes. The the uh, <laughs> the, it's the writing. So good, man. It's so good. the The writing of this movie is like it's a great example of of good writing. The acting is on point from everyone involved. Uh, it, but to me, the star is the tension in which this movie builds mm-hmm. to what it forces these characters to end up having to do in ways that you just don't see coming at all. And I, I have gasped more times out loud watching this movie oh than any God. other movie this year. Just because when these characters do this, it's truly like it takes your breath away because they're extreme. Mm-hmm. They're extreme choices or things that people say because it's been building for so long and you can feel that tension when it comes out it's like it's so human it's visceral and it's real and it's unapologetic and it's just fucking awesome writing and then directed very very well very taut as they say very taut yes (laughs) mom said it was psychologically taut um (laughs) (laughs) i feel like fair play 
genuinely is the kind of movie we always complain that we do not have anymore. We're yes, always like, yes. where are these movies? And then yep. she just delivered it right for us, like right on Netflix. I'm sitting there watching it when I'm in LA visiting for M83. And I'm like, dude, wait till you can see this movie. Cause this thing, <laughs> this thing has some serious bite. I mean, it gets right. What so many contemporary movies about the subjects get wrong. It gets, it gets everything about the modern day romance, right? The fun yeah. and carefree aspects of it, as I thought displayed really beautifully and uniquely in that first scene. It was just oh. something that hadn't really seen before. And I was like, oh, wow. Like you said, it's very human. I was like, oh, okay. This is great. It gets the sexuality right. Yep. It gets the professional hardships right. I Yeah, I just loved all of it. And my God, does it get the arguing right? Like we did a Ooh. whole episode about our favorite movie arguments that came out years before this movie was released. But Phoebe Denever and Alden Ehrenreich would absolutely, their arguments would have made somewhere in our list, like either them collectively or something. And yeah, last time we talked about this movie, I actually looped in a clip of them arguing. And even like me watching that clip, I was like, Jesus, God, these people, <laughs> they just like go for yeah. it. We've had some fans of the pod let us know that they watched it and that, you know, I'm not saying you're going to walk away and be like... <laughs> Feel good movie of the year, like that, but that's oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. It's not trying to be like what, like, and it isn't just those two arguing. Like when he has his office flip out, yeah, you talk oh. about like jaw dropping or shocking, or you're like gasping, and then her quiet resignation of dignity is so yeah. heartbreaking. Not going to say what happens, but and there's a whole family aspect to the movie that like oh, talks yeah. that it lives so well in the financial world like it's just a great movie. I I cannot wait to see what else Chloe Dumont does. Oh, it it uh, one thing also is like um the use of cuts in this movie. Oh, so well edited. Yeah. So well edited because like there's times where where the scene will end and I just can't believe it. I'm like we're ending on that. Like in a good way, not in a way where I feel unsatisfied or, but in a way like I'm craving more. Like, so when a scene would end, I'd be like, oh, that was how that ended. That was how that night ended for these two. Okay, shit. Because now you've <laughs> got all of that leading up to whatever the next scene is. Yeah. And because we don't know what the information is, we can only imagine how much that just kept building and building. Exactly. And every time I was craving for what that next moment could be. And when you don't get it, it's just like it would either it would either be like soul crushing for one of the characters. I'm like, oh, my God, like yeah. they didn't get what they needed at yeah. all or it they fought so hard for it and didn't. And it's oh, man, it's just it's great. It's fucking great. So we did tweet about the movie and, uh, you know, you don't this stuff just happens sometimes. It's crazy. Chloe Dumont herself liked it retweeted it and then began following our account still so been, cool i've still been too shy to reach out but in doing that i looked up when that happened i was just researching her a little more and i found she did a criterion top 10 and oh, this yeah. sounds like it could be from it could be the what are you watching criterion top 10 i was just laughing as i went on about i mean uh, just listen to this shit number one she has this celebration by thomas vinterberg which has some truly shocking jaw-dropping gasp-inducing moments just via dialogue so it's no surprise that that's there 
Igmar Bergman's Scenes of a Marriage, duh. Mm-hmm. Lars von Trier's Breaking the Waves, love it. Number four, A Woman Under the Influence, heard of it? Yes. <laughs> Number five, Faces by John Cassavetes. Number six, <sighs> a movie I just watched, a movie I just rewatched last night, but for the first time in 4K, Terrence Malick's Days of Heaven. Number seven, The Kid with the Bike by the Dardeen Brothers. Number eight, 12 Angry Men by Sidney Lumet. Absolutely love that movie. Number nine, Election by Alexander Payne. Probably my favorite Payne movie. Oh, and number 10, awesome. none other than Thelma and Louise. Oh. Our beloved Thelma and Louise. Get out of town. Oh, I love that. All right. No, that. Okay. So that works. That was my number six. Fair play is your number five. Yep. So that takes me, that takes us to my number five, which is going to be on our. Going to be on both of our lists. I don't know. We're going to have to decide. Um, he did it again. The man, the myth, the legend. Yorgos Lanthimos is four things. <laughs> God, did I love this movie so much. We can hold. We can hold. Well, it's up to you. Well, here's the thing, though. Like At this point know, now, we're, we're in our top five. And I know. We're, we've, we're already holding on one. Two. So, okay, yes. Yeah, so maybe we should <laughs> we should just start talking about them. That's fine. We can. You can you can talk about it, but save its placement if you want. Like, not tell us where it is oh, on your list. Oh, that's a smart idea. And we could just talk about it. Thanks, oh, I'm full okay. of them. And we Man, could just talk about it. It's so much Look simpler. at that. But let's, let's just do poor things. Let's do it. Yeah, he did All it right. again. I mean, Yorgos delivered yet another completely singular work of strange and beautiful art. Over the last 15 years, he has quietly emerged as one of our best living filmmakers All of his films feel like they were made by the exact same person, but they also feel like unlike anything I've ever seen. Like, I know Dogtooth and Poor Things were made by the same person, but I don't know any other movies like this. Like, he is a genre in and of himself, and he's one of the very few we have doing this right now. And I have some other stuff to say, but yeah, let's let's get into the Poor Things talk. We spoke so much and so highly about this on our episode where we covered this because we were both just such huge fans. Yep. What kind of what you were talking about with um with the zone of interest, I can't stop thinking about this movie. Oh, every man. every day there's a moment that comes into my head from this movie and it gives me such like joy. Oh, I love that. Like this truly is just like a remarkable piece of work and um you're right about Yorgos like it's it's nothing like he's ever done, but it's everything like he does. It's, yeah. it's, he's got that stamp, that director's stamp of like style or whatever it is. Because, yeah, because there isn't anything like this. There, and Emma Stone, what a fucking performance, man. It's the best like, thing she's done. And she already has an Oscar. And I like uh, that movie and that performance that she won an Oscar for. But La La Land is not poor things. It is. She no. is not Bella Baxter. Bella. I mean, the more I think about it, I'm going to talk about another movie and another performance coming up that's getting, you know, a lot of attention, justly so. But uh, and we are intentionally not really talking about the Oscars in this episode, because, again, the nomination is going to be very soon. She's still really young. Like, I, I, yeah. do, I think this is our new Meryl. I really do. I think this is the new Meryl. She, she's certainly on her way. And, and um, roles like this are just like, um, this is one of those things where once you see it, I can't see anyone else. Like, even the name, Bella Baxter. <laughs> like, I, I, I instantly know. I feel like I know that person. I feel like I know I Bella. Her. God, I love her. Yes, out. And I I love how hands-on she was with everything when it came to the making of this. I love how collaborative she's been for it. 
just uh and then you know you get like one of the greatest supporting casts like i like, oh my god i can't talk enough about how good everyone is in this movie and they all play these parts so well that it's just like i feel like this movie captured lightning in a bottle like it, mm-hmm. it's like i don't know how this movie works so well with its material and its tone and it does it's a giant giant achievement it's an achie- I totally agree. It's it is an achievement on so many levels. We I still can't believe she pulled it off. They all pulled it off. It makes me so excited for the movie he has next that has a lot of these same actors and watching poor, you know, I still love Dogtooth the best and there is there really is a lot of similarities between these two and they make for a fun double feature because they're both like about growing up and discovering independence and rejecting the system, exploring sexuality. But where Dogtooth is so confined and limited to its space because it had such a small budget, poor things can just like soar and go up and up. And that's what I love about it. Really unique vision. And I, yeah, I just loved the end of this. I, the end was something that has never left my head from Christopher Abbott coming in and really stealing it. But then like even down to the final shot, I, yeah, I really love this. And if people remember, you said this is your favorite Yorgos film. Yep. It's great. Still is. Hell yeah. Even more so. Oh, poor things. Okay, that was my number five. That takes us to your number four. All right. And I know this movie didn't make your list. Oh, Again, wow. talking about my sickly week in <laughs> December, um, along with Master Gardener, this was the movie. This was the one that I responded to the most. This is the one that resonated. This is the one where I was like, I, I, I can't even tell you what I like about this movie. It was a purely emotional response the whole way through. I never once was not completely captivated. And even though I don't get it, I understood it every step of the way. I I don't know. I'm talking about Bo is Afraid. Oh, wow. Okay. You didn't, I had I, no idea where that was going. Wow. That is the very, that was my number 10 and then i just bumped out zone of interest so you could if you wanted to you could say bo is afraid is my 11 because it was right there asterisk and they of course this is you asked me about it on the pod i went that night and rented it and then like two fucking days later they put it on like paramount for free and i was like thanks guys thanks i really appreciate it there's um i mean i loved it from the second it freaking started like he just walks into the therapist's office (laughs) <laughs> like drink my mouthwash again. I think that's what it was. Yeah. And his therapist is like, well, that's not good. <laughs> I just was sort of like, oh, I'm going to love this movie. I'm going to fucking love this thing. And then everywhere that it went, I was just on board for. I and I don't know what I was seeing. I don't know what it meant. I mm-hmm. don't know. I, but I wasn't trying to figure it out. I you think can't. that was like that's the thing. smart. That's smart. You can't. I think there was like a baseline idea to every single scene or sequence in the movie that I just took for myself and kind of just ran with. And by way of doing that, I felt like I was in a weird way on the adventure with him. Mm-hmm. Even if there were things I couldn't relate to or things that I didn't really understand, I I felt like I was on this Odyssey-like journey. But I'll tell you one thing, man, when we get to that that giant departure from the movie when he's in the woods with that theater group mm-hmm. and they're going through his life, which isn't his life. 
I that's where it's sold for me. I, everything up into the movie, I'm like, I don't know what I'm watching, but man, am I enjoying every second of this. Then that was the part where I was like, this is fucking great. And I love, love, love everything this movie is doing. That's fascinating because I was just going to bring up that exact same sequence and say that's the part where, where it you? starts to lose me a little bit. Yeah. Yo, and it starts to, yeah, it starts to lose me. And then from there, because I, at least on the second viewing, and it was so much better the second time because I could like actually track a little bit better of what was going on. But yeah, that's where I'm like, all right, you're really digging in and becoming something different here. And it's not a, it doesn't have to be a good or bad thing, but things start to change there. But yeah, I, yes, I have a much better opinion on it now than after first viewing. And I would have given it like a B or B minus, nothing crazy. But now for ambition alone, it has to warrant discussion. Even if it didn't make our list, I was absolutely going to mention it in an honorable mention because it is an ambitious film. Holy shit. The, oh, my God. Parker Posey. I love her. Oh, oh I love her. I mean, just fu- just fucking go I, for it. Just do it. Like, why not? You're, I just why love not? it. I love it. And Mariah Carey. Mariah I, Carey came to the premiere. Love her. <laughs> love her. Like, oh. they, they all knew what they were doing. It's And you get to this end fight with the mother. Whew. It, it's just – it's a crazy movie. And the ending is just something that I – never expected and i stayed with it the whole entire credits as it rolled there's just the image that's left it just yeah. it hangs there and i just sort of like i loved this loved it loved it but i can't uh, explain why i mean i'm sure there's well, that's okay. i think it all has to boil down to like a, a therapist could really kind of dig in and be like well this is why you loved it <laughs> well, yeah i mean sure i mean who sometimes yeah. we don't know why we love the things we do we're just so 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 drawn to them i that's so cool that you watch it i like that you kept that one for me like we hadn't um talked about it yeah so that's great that's great great so that was your number four which takes us to my number four this one <laughs> came out of nowhere for me it won the palme d'oire at Cannes in 2023 it is making a huge play for oscars coming out of nowhere is justin trier's anatomy of a fall yes wow love this one and i know you watch this so that's i'm glad you got to check it out and this is the one that I didn't put on my list. And well, I'm, it's no Magic my, Mike's Last Dance. Let's it's be clear. no Magic Mike's Last Dance. Let's be clear. Um, <laughs> no, I get but, it. I get it. But I this just, is, yeah, I love it. This is my asterisk, how Bo is afraid is yours. This is mine sure. because I think this movie is fucking awesome. This movie is so good. And that's all that matters. And this, <laughs> that's, all, that's all that matters. Think the same way as me. <laughs> so I didn't know this until the Golden Globes, but this movie was co-written by Trier and her partner, Arthur Harari. They're together. Yeah. I didn't realize that, which makes it <laughs> even the story all that much more interesting. It This is a remarkably original film. I love psychological true crime. I love that shit. This is easily one of the best true crime films I have ever seen that is not based on a real crime at all. It's complete fiction. Just yeah. the level of detail it has was remarkable to me. Talked about argument scenes when we talked about fair play. Oh, yeah. This one truly does have an all-timer, standalone, great movie argument. When it began, I'm like, "Is hmm, I've done this before. I know this trick. Everyone's all calm and talking <laughs> in a kitchen. I know this. And I'm like, they're way too relaxed for this to be anything. And where it goes, and it t- they take a long time with it, is shocking. And, and what yeah. she chooses to show and not show is... Shocking. Like, I saw this movie once when it first came out in theaters months ago, 
And I have a great memory recall of it. And it's not even in English, which is a huge factor of the movie. Like the use of language was so critical Oof. in this film. What yes. language, who speaks what language, when and where is it spoken? How well is it being spoken? What are we teaching our son to speak? I think because of that tricky wordplay, I do think this is going to be a serious contender for best original screenplay. I think the Globe was pretty shocking that it won that, but I still remain completely and utterly dumbfounded that this is not France's submission for the best international feature Oscar this year. I don't know if they're getting greedy and they think they actually have a shot at best picture. Their submission is a film called The Taste of Things, starring Juliette Binoche. I hear it is great. It is about cooking. The preview looks very good. I hope it is good. It does not come out till the middle of February. It's very difficult for me to believe that it is as good as Anatomy of a Fall, but you know we'll see. I just loved this movie. Can't wait to watch it again. Bro, they are going to go push it all the way for Best Picture. That's only, But that's happened once in the history of the Oscars, and it was Parasite. It's not going to win. It doesn't, it's never. But why, it's not, why not but, go for but, the layup, though? Why not? The, the next movie on my list, they have a layup, an Oscar no layup. That's why I don't want to talk about the Oscars. <laughs> We're talking about the Oscars next episode. That's my number four and your ish number 11. Both of our fours were each other's number 11. Yes. Haha, <laughs> look that what we did there. No. Oh. Takes us right to your number three. It's the top three. And All right. there's huh, some movies that have been mentioned here. I'm starting to get a little nervous. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Number three. <laughs> so how would you proceed? So my number three is the movie that I started way back when you put it way down towards the uh, bottom of your list. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, Todd Haynes, May, December. Number three, May, December. So I, I mean, I knew I was gonna like this movie because um, Natalie Portman. Damn right, <sighs> she's just my everything. Always has. She's been. great in this. She's great. I love every single thing about this. I love everything. I love the little humor. I, I, I love the score. This melodrama. This, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but then like it gets really deep and it gets really weird. It, it just continues to grow into something, and it's got these really, really poignant and profound moments like it, it's one of those movies where the 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 dialogue and the writing just hit in a certain way where you just you're just floored oh yeah it, it, and and the whole entire movie is doing that along the way it's creating this web of complicated relationship and dealing with very taboo subjects which is i, I think crazy that this movie is about what it's about in today's climate Yes. So not only is it doing that, but it's not hiding away from anything either. It's actually exploring everything in a very honest way, which I think is just a remarkable thing for today's time. <sighs> I love Natalie so much. Oh, it's yeah. just she's so good in it. I was not I did not expect she has a monologue in this it towards the end of this movie that I just I think that's some of her best work I've ever seen her do. I don't know if she's separated right now or what the deal is there, but uh, oh, they're separated. She can call me. Yeah, <laughs> the window is open. Yeah, the window. Go for open. it. She can call you. I've waited. Okay. I've waited my entire life. <laughs> I'm sure you have, Natalie. I'm free. <laughs> <laughs> the thing I like most about her character in this movie, and it was something I picked up on much more the second viewing. I am certain. I'm talking about the character. I'm certain that this character is not a good actress. She is yeah. carrying herself. <laughs> yeah. 
with the ego like she is as talented as joan crawford but like you yeah and joan honey the real life actress natalie portman knows this but i don't yes. think it sounds like she's known for like a tv show like a crime tv show or something oh i watched that so many times uh the music is a lot of fun in it, and that's been oh, a lot music. of talk, and it's from a movie called The Go-Between, made in 1971, directed by Joseph Loosely and written by Harold Pinter. Todd Haynes and his composer, Marcelo Zvaros, deliberately adapted that score from the for The Go-Between. I haven't had a chance to check it out, but a lot of people are like, man, what is this? Like, This is really weird, and I love that choice because the music is really the tone setter in, that, in this. That and Julianne Moore's performance, you're like... All right, what's going on here? But yeah, the choices of this movie are are I mean, it's a masterclass from oh, every yeah. and not just the actors. It's the direction too. like how subtle are we about this? How subtle are we not about this? How far do we go and what's not far enough? Because any choice made differently changes this whole entire thing. Mm -hmm. This is such a tricky movie. And oh, yeah. for it to come off the way it does where no one's confused by it, no one – it, it is a very, very precise movie for how it handles itself. Yeah, and, you know, Julianne Moore is also sensational in this. Like, she has a oh. lot of choices to make. And, yes. again, watching it the second time because I knew where it was going, I was looking at her going, you know, when you're actually talking to someone directly – I don't know if I believe a fucking thing you say. I yeah. believe you when you're like busy with something else and you're indirectly talking about your brothers or your dad or your brothers or your dad yep. all the time. Uh -huh. <laughs> but then when you look someone dead in the eye and you're like, oh, yeah, that's that's all that. I'm like, mm, I don't really believe that. I believe more of this like subconscious thing that's going. I think the lisp informs all of that. Yeah. It's such heavy material. Like if you're going to. If you're going to adapt, not like legally, but this is the Mary Kay Letourneau story, a, a yeah. lot of it, like they borrowed a lot of aspects of it without like, you know, crediting her. Yes, this is very risky material. This could go any, any way. And they handled it all well, while also being funny at times. Like there's some funny yeah. stuff in this. Like it's good. There's some scary stuff. Yeah. Like from scene to scene, I really didn't know like, what's the end game here? Like, how's this all going to end? Yep. Yeah. And what I love, too, is like your interpretation of that, like that what's so cool is like for how specific and precise this movie is, it's really all your interpretation of it as yeah. well. Yeah, that's like true. there's no right or wrong answer. Even Very the, ending. True. the ending is something that some people will think of as one thing and some people think as another and doesn't really matter. It's, uh, you know, so that's a great take on Julianne Moore for her being like, I don't believe a thing she says when she does this. Yeah. We'll never know. True. But no, that's how no. you felt with it. And that's, I love that. That's so fucking cool. Uh, Same thing with Natalie. Like, like she, you like the idea of that she thinks of herself this way and, mm -hmm. and then, yeah, yeah. Oh, love all of that. See, it's so much to chew on. They're all really good actors, but sometimes we just need actors to remind us of how good of actors they are. This yes. is one where everyone showed up and they're like, we're going to fucking crush this. And they did. Yep. I have three left. You have two left. And I have some theories where we're going, but I am, you know, it's it's okay. I'm just getting a little nervous. That was your number three. That was my number three. And you presented that very elegant, quite clear. My number three. Could it have been shorter? Maybe. Could it have been more contained? Could the lead actor have reined it in a little more? Could it have focused more on its native characters? I don't know, maybe. But for what Killers of the Flower Moon is, I loved it. I watched it three times in the theater. I finished it again early this morning. I watched most of it yesterday. 
And Marty did it. I cannot believe the age he's at that he is able to churn out movies of this quality. If I'm going to guess, I'm going to say this is not on your list. So that's okay. Let's just talk about it. It it is not on my list. That's okay. That's okay. It is not. That's fine. That's fine. That one's allowed to not be on your list. That's fine. Yeah, I um well, I guess I I should just say like I I certainly do not think that this is a bad movie no, by any stretch no of the imagination. Does. No. I actually really really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. But I am such a Leo fan. He is the probably the biggest reason I started acting was because I wanted to be like him and I wanted to do the kind of stuff that he was doing. And I, I look up to him so much and I just I just really hate to say that I, I, I he did not do it for me in this 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 movie. It's OK. And 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 that is the, the reason why it's kind of not on my list. Um, I, I had a hard time with his performance in, in the movie. And that's it. That's it. Um, OK, so that's what you told me that he was like kind of losing you at times and going in and out. So then when I rewatched it, because I didn't necessarily agree with you, and then when I rewatched it, it certainly didn't take me out the three times I saw it in the theater, but I do think you have a point. I do think at times it's not the most consistent portrayal of the character. That That's exactly it. That's all, that's all that it was. And it certainly wasn't bad, but it was enough for me to just have to kind of go over like as the scenes were going on be like, all right. But then I, the more that I thought about it, I actually do agree with Paul Schrader's take on the Mm -hmm. movie. And I don't, and this has actually nothing to do with, with Leo's performance for anyone who doesn't know Paul Schrader's, (laughs) he's gone on record of saying that, well, how do you know the take the quote better than I do? I mean, Paul Schrader and Marty Scorsese have a long relationship, but he said it's a good movie, but three and a half hours is a long time to watch an idiot. And he's right. It, yeah. it is a long time. Because right. Leonardo DiCaprio as Ernest Burkhardt is an idiot. Like he is a moron. And the first time I watched it, it, it was not an A plus endorsement from me the first time I saw it because I was like, is this guy like, c- come on, dude, are you going to get it? Like, are you going to get hip to things or are you really just this dumb? And it took, I read the book after my first viewing, I did some research and he was that dumb. Like he was just kind of a, a moron and I, I get it. But yeah, three, I, I can't, I cannot disagree. Three and a half hours is a long time to watch a main character moron, a moronic main character, which he is. So I think maybe in just some ways, I kind of felt like that lead role might have been better served if for a, a that type of a intelligence, like an actor that like, is more dumb than he is. I got to talk shit on Jesse Plemons trying to say Jesse Plemons. Well, I mean, it. oh, I mean, well, yeah, because that would have been that would have been I, I think I would have bought it more. Yeah, you're not the only person to have this exact criticism like the Screen Actors Guild nominations were released and Leonardo DiCaprio was not on there. And that got a lot of people's eyebrows raised going, is this guy going to get snubbed for the Oscar? And I, now the tide seems to be turning like, would it even be a snub? Like, I don't I don't know. I don't know if he. If he gets in there for actor, and I think maybe some of the reasons you're talking about could be why we'll see. There, I, outside of that, like I, I do want to spend some time talking because even though it's not on my list, I know it's number three for you. So let's talk about some of the things that make this movie incredible. Uh, a lot of people die in this movie, and we see a lot of people <laughs> die. <laughs> and no, it's it's okay. It's fair to laugh. It is no, it's telling. A funny way to, it's funny way to say <laughs> it, it. It is telling that the most memorable death scene in this movie is the quietest, which is when that mother dies. And that is so oh. 
quietly profound to me. I've, I'm sure that's been done in a movie. I'm sure if I could ask Marty, he'd be like, oh yeah, it was in this Japanese film from 1943 or something, you know, cause he's, I'm sure that's been done, but I, to my memory, I cannot remember that, which, and that's not like a spoiler, you know, just that owl, that owl coming in. And then we mm-hmm. see the owl come in again. And just the simple, I like, come this way, I thought was so, I don't know, really immensely moving. And it's stuff like that. It's not like the teary stuff from the hospital bed that like reminds me of no. like my mom's death. It's that. It's like that stuff that's so simple where I'm like, man, like you've the person who made this movie has like lived. They've lived through, they've gone through loss to understand that, that it it, it can just be a whisper, it can be so much more profound. Uh, it that's really stayed with me. I love that the smile that she gives. Yep, exactly. It's, she look. It's the lightest she is in the movie. Yeah, like yeah. she doesn't smile ever, but like, right. like There's a peace and a knowing that this is this is where it's all okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's okay. We're we're going home. I think Lily Gladstone is. I've. I've been monitoring her career, but this is like, here I am. I hope she gets so many more roles because of this. I really love her in it. And then the last thing I'll say about the movie is that I don't want to say what it is, but I thought the last 10 minutes of Killers of the Flower Moon were truly profound and have moved me to tears every time I've watched it, including when I finished it this morning. There's no title cards in the in the end of this movie to tell yeah. us what happened to the characters. The way it tells us what happened to the characters, I thought was so unique and so yeah. fresh, while also being part of its charm was how painfully obvious it was and how painfully expository it was. That was the point. And then the final person who speaks in this scene, I thought yeah. just that was brilliant. The drone shot that the movie ends on, I thought was really Again, just a quietly profound movie. And uh, yeah, this is my number three. I really, really liked it. I actually do not have any issues with the Leo stuff you're talking about, but I acknowledge that they are there. Um, all right, we're going to do something. I'm making an executive decision. That was my number three. We're going to hold your two and one. We're going to go to my number two. All the way at number two, baby, is David Fincher's The Killer. Yes. Let's talk about it. Let's do it. God, I love this movie. You know, Hey, you know what movie fucking rocks? David Fincher's The Killer. God, I love this. <laughs> so yesterday, <laughs> I like put on, I have like 10 minutes to kill and Allie's in the other room and I put on the fight with the brute, which is what we couldn't talk about in our breakdown of The Killer. We can talk about it now. She just walks in and she's like, again, you're, she still hasn't seen the movie. And she's like, again, you're watching this again. And I go, I watch this all the time. (laughs) (laughs) So much. I don't know if this is going to get the mank physical media treatment, which is to say it won't get one. I would love to see the killer on Blu-ray or 4k, but I'm, I'm just mentioning because they have, they've released a lot of like making of documentaries on YouTube. I've watched them all listen to every podcast, read every interview. I don't know it. I was watching it yesterday, of course. I don't think I'll ever watch a movie more, a Fincher movie more than seven, but this is quickly becoming my second most watch David Fincher movie. Got a ton of viewings logged on Letterboxd, W-A-Y-W underscore podcast. Follow us there. Yeah, I love it. It's not, you know, I don't have much more to say because I, I did a whole solo episode on Killers of the Flower Moon. We did an episode on The Killer. So, you know, we've said a lot, but Saw it three weeks in a row in the theater and just ah, loved it. I mean, I, I've seen it now twice. And Oh, um, you did watch it again? Yeah, okay. I did watch it again, yeah. And it's kind of cool watching it for the second time because there's the first time I was putting it together in my head. And then you know, you're having like, those moments of like, oh, that's what it is. Oh, okay, mm-hmm. that's what he's doing. 
So the second time you kind of know those things. But what I liked the more about the second time was how much this was not the norm for him. Yes. I was like, yes. oh, yeah, this guy, this is this is a really bad day. Mm-hmm. Like this is a bad day that's turned into a bad set of cir- circumstances and it just never really gets better. And um and he and and and, and the humor came through a lot more the second time. <laughs> yeah, cuz I remember I told you I thought it was hilarious and you I mean, you also had like kind of a crappy screening of it when you saw it. Unfortunately. But, yeah, I I think it's I mean, just so funny. When I, it I, is. It's it's so David Fincher's humor. It's his. It is his exact dry sense of humor. Yeah, and it, it's and it's. Uh, oh, I get to use my favorite word. It's the juxtaposition. It's ooh. the. It's the. You know, like we're not watching John Wick right here. Mm-mm. We're watching a guy who's very very good at what he does. But like, I love that basically every real word out of his mouth every time is like something like "fuck shit," like. Like he screwed up. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And like, that's where the humor kind of lies is like, this is not a bad guy at his job. It's just, this is what happens when everything goes wrong. (laughs) Right. Right. I saw, I mean, God, they've been doing so many, um, like variety had, you know, I should have mentioned it when we were talking about Bo's afraid it left my mind. Like the Ari Aster Yorgos Lanthimos, uh, one-on-one is really good because those they're just normal guys and you get to hear them speak like normal guys and they're they're not like weirdos like you might think their movies suggest and then carrie mulligan representing maestro and michael fassbender representing the killer for one of those one-on-one things and the home base of their conversation is the motion picture shame that's mm. where they're ending so many times because that's a movie they made together things just like don't get better than that interview for me but in that what was interesting is he said one of the hardest scenes for him was how to express any sort of love for that woman because he goes this character is a sociopath so how does he fall in love then going back and me watching those scenes oh that's i think are really interesting that he's like okay i have a mission i have to go solve this problem that's how i prove my love i go do this thing it's yeah those are the scenes, those are like the quieter scenes in the movie that I maybe don't think as much about. And then I love that, like, that's what he has to think the most about. Well, and the conviction that he has when he tells her brother. Oh, my like, God. This You're w- never going to have to worry about this again. Yeah. You know, that. that's a great, because, like, I felt that in that line. And I, yeah. I, was, I was always like, man, he's saying this, like, with a certain amount of, like, love behind it that. Yeah. I guess to like the like to not think about that aspect of it. This is how he shows his love mm-hmm. is by like letting you know this will never happen again. And I like ba- yeah, basically the subtext is I love you so much. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's saying that, to, and the brother's like, "I stay out of your business," and he puts his hand on his shoulder, and you think he's going to be like, "Calm the fuck down, keep yeah. your shit together." But he reassures him in such a way where he's like. The subtext of what he's saying is, I'm killing everyone involved in this and then coming home, and then we're never going to have to worry about any of this again. It, yeah. It's okay. And you're like, oh, shit. Okay, dude. Like, yeah. uh, all right, here we go. Uh, yeah, I am glad it made your list. I'm glad you watched of it Of course. Again. Really, oh, my God. Yeah. yeah. No, I love this movie. Yeah, Tilda. Tilda uh, on our Michael Clayton episode, she was our top. That was our top five Tilda Swinton performance yep. we love yep. her in that yeah she's so good i just yeah i really do love everything about it i could talk about it i could keep going but we i have one spot left and you have two now i don't know man it's tricky i uh, i don't know i don't know which one you should do first we should do your two because i don't oh boy all right do your two 
I mean, that's the only thing that's left. I'm just saying, I don't know what it is. I don't know if we're talking about your, all right, whatever your number two is, we'll talk about it. That's what we'll do. But I may not be happy. No, I'm kidding. All right, go <laughs> for it. Just say it. I love this power that I have right now. Yep. Oh, God, it feels so good. I'm so rarely. I don't like position. your phrase. Ah, uh, all right. All right. All right. I'm not going to keep you in suspense. My number two is poor things. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. 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 It happened. Stand it up. I'm walking it off. Yes. Oh, I'm so nervous. Uh, uh, so if your number two is poor things, then your number one and my number one has to be Christopher Nolan's Barbie. Yes. <laughs> that would have been fucking great. You're like, nope, it's Barbie. Wow. I did. Okay. This is unexpected. I did not know. I didn't know like where your head was at with it. I didn't know. Wow. Have you still only seen it once? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm sorry. a fucking lunatic. I just finished it. I was watching it. I watched it right before we went on. Dan called me in the middle of it. He's like, are you watching Oppenheimer? Oh, fucking A, man. Even though I've only seen it once, oh, that I, I did not need to see it. I mean, I want to see it again, but of course I do. But I, you know when you're in the throes of a masterpiece. Yeah. Like it, it, it's just one of this. I, I just go when that movie was over, I just go, that's it. There's not going to be any movie that will be a better oh, God, I'm so happy. A, a piece of filmmaking than this. This is just I mean, Robert Downey Jr. has been saying it in every single word speech that he keeps winning is that <laughs> this is a masterpiece and it truly is. I think it's a I thought this was really silly in L.A., um, cause now that we're in the award season, this movie came out in July. Now we're getting the billboards for everything. Sure. Sure. And there's, there's one tagline that I keep seeing. And I did at, at the first time I saw it, I laughed because I was like, that's such a silly thing to say right now. But then I thought about it and I was like, you know, it's probably not, not true. And that tagline is Oppenheimer, the best film of the century. <laughs> Well, it's what I see everywhere. Uh, I, I can. Yeah, I'm going to touch on that. Yeah. And and for a lot of reasons, it's sort of like, tell me something that's not necessarily not true there. And they're just they're just talking about the last 23 years. It's a cute way of yeah, saying it's cute. Like it's this, cute. Yeah, they're not saying the last hundred. But I think this movie is something that I don't think people have a grasp on what it actually means yet. I think this is a movie that's I, I I know you don't. I think this is going to sweep everything at the Oscars. I think this movie is everything that it's touted to be, and then we'll even grow further in time as to what it means to us as a movie. Oh, I love this. I'm just so happy. I'm so happy. This is this is great. <laughs> this is great. So I mean, fans of the podcast will know. I should say, come on. This Here is we go. this thing. This movie's like changed my fucking life in terms of how many times I've seen it. It's you know. So I did just go to New York recently for the play, and then I did my whole shame thing. The real reason I went back the second time <laughs> in three weeks was because I found out because I found out that Universal was re-releasing Oppenheimer in IMAX 70 millimeter, and I went, you know what? The best IMAX screen in the country I hear is at the AMC Lincoln Square in New York City. Why not? do another trip and just go like why not it's so it, you've done everything else why not just do it 
ran it by Allie, her best friend lives in New York. So we're going to make a weekend out of it. And that's what I did. Like I bought my ticket a month in advance and I went to the theater. It that's the, that's the best theater I've been to in America. It, it, I mean, this place absolutely fucking loved movies. I'm just like going up and up another escalator up. I'm on the fourth floor. I'm like, what the hell you enter this IMAX room. I I mean it it was bigger than the Air and Space Museum that I live next to where the Enola Gay is actually housed where I saw Oppenheimer 3 times. I mean this it was just great. And I will say AMC Lincoln Square in New York City that has the best sound of any movie theater I've ever heard cuz I that was the 15th the 15th time <laughs> I've seen this movie in the theater and I remember the sound. Never was a dialogue more clear. It was just and then all the explosive stuff was great. I love this movie so much that I still have been like afraid to put on my Blu-ray or 4K because I have never been able to control the film. I've always gone and just watched it. Now I'm like, all right, I'm going to put it on before this podcast. So I put it on early this morning after I finished Killers of the Flower Moon. I always wake up first. So I have my Bluetooth headphones on and I have it on and Allie comes out. That That's my wife. Yeah. She comes out at the um I, I don't know if you remember the scene, but it's when they're all around like the table and they're debating about oh the Russians, the Russians have a bomb. You know, we need to know Truman needs to know what's next. She comes out and she's like, Oppenheimer, are you fucking kidding me? You're watching it again. Keep in mind, she's probably she's one of the few people alive who have never seen this movie. <laughs> Despite oh, the amazing. fact that her husband's obsessed with it. She's, you know, it's it's all good. I love so this. she, I have my headphones on, so I can't really hear her, but I always watch movies with captions on, right? So this is the first time I'm watching Oppenheimer with the captions on. So I have them on. She cannot hear the movie because I have the headphones on. I look at her and I start saying the movie line for line, like as it's happening. And I tell her to look at the screen. So I'm saying like Truman needs to know what's next. And I'm making the facial expressions that the characters will make. So, yes, that's how much I love it. She thinks I'm fucking crazy. She thinks I'm out of my mind. I have the whole movie memorized. I love this movie. I'm so glad that it's your number one. I'm not ready to talk about I, I don't know what to do about the Oscars. I am I so nervous. I'm the thi- like people, you got to understand this has never happened to me. This has <laughs> never happened to me. The my favorite movie of the year and what I told Allie, she goes, this has to be like in your top three of all time. And what I told her was not of all time, but it's in my top three of this century so far. So it's so funny that that's a tagline. I didn't even know that, but it's 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 in the top five of this century for me. So Oscar stuff, this has never happened to me. My favorite movie of the year that's so like wildly my favorite movie of the year is never the front runner to win best picture. It's never it's rarely even in contention to be nominated. I'm lucky if my favorite movie of the year gets nominated for best picture. It does not happen all the time, and that's okay. You were never really here. Forget about it. Waves, forget about it. Like never is it the front runner to win best picture. I don't know, man. This is crazy. And my brain is like there's no way you can get this excited about it and be like it's going to sweep the Oscars. I just I can't I appear to be in the minority about this. Every, no one agrees with me. Everyone thinks this movie is just going to sweep. When we do our post-Oscar show, I'm either going to be absolutely fucking ecstatic or it'll I'll just be like a huge shrug of anticipation going, I knew that was going to happen. And I, don't, I still don't, th- I don't know. 
I don't even know if it's going to win picture or director. I just wanted to win one. That's I, I really just wanted to win one. Everyone's like, relax, it's going to win both. I cannot believe that. I just can't. I hope I'm wrong. Never have I wanted to be more wrong, but I just wanted to win one of those. I, you know, all right, now you go. <laughs> well, I just can't wait to win 500 bucks from you because uh, you placed a you placed a bet on our Oscars that if I got more wins right than you, then you'd give me 500 bucks. I did say something and I, I will, I want to, I'll take the bet. You, I, <laughs> it's a bad bet. bet. I'll take the bet. It's a bad bet. It's a bad bet. I'll take the bet. Here's what I said. I will give you $500 cash in hand, five crisp bills, if you get more winners right than I do. Yes. If I win, then I get to punch Dan in the face once. Is that fair? Yes. And all I meant by that, to give context, is that you think Oppenheimer's like coming in heavy, like it's going to win a bunch. And I'm like, there's no way. So I don't know. We'll... Hey, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. I just don't. I don't. I don't know. They have. They historically have not liked Nolan that much. But maybe it's what you're saying. They can't turn their. They, they can't deny it. Like I don't know what else they'd give it. But I feel like it would pale in comparison. Undeniable. I, it just feels weird that my favorite movie of the year is the Oscar frontrunner. It's very, very bizarre. It's. I've never had this. I'm going to capitalize monetarily on your trauma. We'll <laughs> hey man if it fucking oh my god if it wins those i'm just gonna be so i'm, I'm not gonna be able to believe it i'm gonna be like what it oh wow but yeah we are gonna get more into specific oscar talk and our next episode is gonna come very very quickly because the oscar nominations we're recording th- this episode on january 20th saturday and the oscar nominations are on the 23rd so it's exactly like last year you're gonna get two huge episodes right in a row Bing, bang, boom. Bing, bang, boom. Oppenheimer, I love it. Poor Things, you're number two. That's great. That's great. I know yep. you really love that. I love that movie as well. I Yeah. Oh, my God. So, well, let's, let's do it because this was all over the place. Let's, let's it was. run through our top 10. Yeah, I'll do mine first. We had five in common. I'll do those after. All right, my number oh. 10, The Zone of Interest. Number nine, Master Gardener. Number eight, May, December. Number seven, Godzilla Minus One. Six, Fair Play. Five, Poor Things. Four, Anatomy of a Fall. Three, Killers of the Flower Moon. Two, The Killer. One, Oppenheimer. Don't call me Oppenheimer. We actually have six in common. All right, you do yours. Number 10. Yeah. Magic Mike's Last Dance. Damn right. Number nine, Past Lives. Number eight, Air. Number seven, Master Gardener. Number six, The Killer. Number five, Fair Play. Top five, Fair Play. Number four, Bo is Afraid. Number three, May December. Number two, Poor Things. And number one, Oppenheimer. Oh, it's great, isn't it? Oh, it's just a great thing. It's, <sighs> it's just a great thing. God doesn't play dice. Let's talk about some of the ones that didn't make it. That Because uh, I've got a giant list of ones that I'm like. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay, the I my first honorable mentions, I had I thought we got three really good sequels this year that I was happy by. You mentioned one, Magic Mike's Last Dance, John Wick 4, which I yes. loved and I yeah. I went to those stairs in Paris, the Sacré-Cœur stairs, and I just want to say that I got to the bottom of the stairs and I was like, this isn't going to be bad. John Wick ain't got shit on me. And I have a video of this. I look over to the right and there's a man, an extremely in shape, physically in shape man crawling up the stairs on his hands and feet backwards. Wow. Just jacked. And I was like, uh, is he going to do this the whole way? And I mean, we just, we were stopped and looked and I recorded some of it. And I was like, 
holy shit, now John Wick ain't got nothing on that guy. <laughs> so that was great. And then, um, who? My last sequel, honorable mention, Scream 6, which yes! I loved and I love seeing with you and Dan, but holy God, did the studio really fuck up the end game on this one? Well, uh, I yes. love Scream 5 and 6. Uh, they yep. they really botched it. It's It's just not coming back and it's in this form and, you know, whatever. But yeah, Scream 6, definitely an honorable mention. <laughs> Scream Six was actually uh, that um, <laughs> past lives is what bumped that out. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. Past lives, damn it! I had That's Scream great. Six in my top ten because I I had so much fun with it. It was uh, I'm so glad we mentioned it. I, I actually wanted to say the same thing about John Wick. Um, did not think I was gonna like that movie just because I'm just overall pissed that it wasn't just a singular movie but i'm i'm over it i'm over it they they they've been fun they they're in the desert now and things like that i did think john wick 4 was just a uh absolute blast and uh oh, and, and, it, and very well done too as a movie uh naiad i had a, okay i had a okay, really cool. fun time with naiad oh, you did you said that you said that yeah yep. yeah yeah i mentioned that one in that review episode i'm glad you liked it yep it, it was exactly what it well, you think it would be, but it, mm-hmm. it, it doesn't take away from the fact that like I had like a really like compelling time with that movie, I, and I thought it was very cool. Um, should talk about the holdovers. Yeah, let's do it. Tell me about it. This is going to be an Oscar movie, and it didn't make either of our lists. And yeah, yep, yep. Um, I think from top to bottom, it's good. Just good. Same. That's it. Shrug. Good. What What is so funny about this is that I have cooled off on Alexander Payne. I would honestly say pretty significantly in the past two decades because his first three films I really like. And so I was not expecting much from this. And I've talked about how I I still think the trailer for that movie is quite bad. And I was surprised that the movie just did a little bit more for me than I thought. I was like, oh, okay, that was that was a good movie when I was expecting it to be potentially bad whereas you turned it on and i think you were expecting it to be good and you were expecting it to be maybe a little better than good and it was Mm -hmm. more of a shrug from you yeah Mm -hmm. that's right we met at the middle (laughs) met at the middle i don't i mean he's yeah whatever (laughs) (laughs) no i'm just yeah i don't want to talk about too much oscar stuff all right all right all right right. no no no, um Another one for me that I I talked about a few like passages. Yes, I time, see that. Which I yeah. really liked. Yeah. What I didn't get to mention is Eileen, which is based on a book that I love by a writer that I love, Otesha Moshfeg. And she wrote this movie. The movie was directed by William Olderoyd, who directed uh, Lady Macbeth a few years ago. A really good movie. And then Otessa Moshfeg and her partner co-wrote the screenplay. This has Thomason, McKenzie, Shea Wingham, Anne Hathaway. I really, really liked it. Great adaptation of a book that I just love. So I will say Napoleon, a movie that no one uh, really gave Napoleon. a shit about. That just that thing came and went. But that Battle of Austerlitz was one of the best just set pieces of the year. I don't know what happened to the Apple release of that. It sounded before that movie came out. It sounded like he's like he was saying Ridley Scott was saying a four hour cut's going to be available really soon, and then. That never happened, so oh well. Let's get into the awards, baby. Let's get into these awards. Again, so we're going to get into some categories here. The What Are You Watching Awards. These have nothing to do with Oscars. These are not related to Oscar lore in any way, so it's going to be way different than if we were picking our Oscar winners. These are our 
just our personal opinions of what we like the most. We're going to do runners up and a number one for each category. I suppose best picture has been spoiled. And that would be Oppenheimer. What do you want to do? You want to start with the technical ones or start with director? Yeah, start with the technical ones, baby. You got to work your way up. Work our way up. Let's start with best editing. Oof. What did we think was the best edited film of the year? Do you want what we should we should go we should go with our picks and then the runner up. Okay, so our picks first and then the runner up. All right. Yeah. I understand. I was going to do runner up and picks. Best editing. My my winner is Oppenheimer, Jennifer Lame. I really hope she wins. I've just she's is she sounds like a great hang. I have heard her on so many interviews. She just sounds really great and the stuff that was hard to cut you wouldn't think would be hard. I just, she's been great. And then I don't know my runner up. It's it, Oppenheimer just kind of wins. My runner up might be um, anatomy of a fall actually. Ooh, very yeah. nice. What about very you? Nice. The, the award goes to Oppenheimer. Boom. The, the, the runner up I would give to the killer. Oh, okay. I did love the way that was assembled. And oh my like, God, of course it, it's killer. It, it, and plus Fincher with how crazy he is. Like, can't imagine. Cannot imagine how long that took to edit. Jesus. They re- he recorded that whole voiceover lying down. He was actually like lying down and they put a mic above his head. That's why he sounds so relaxed. Oh, that's fucking, cool. That's awesome, man. Like that's who just does wild. that? Thinks of shit like that. Uh, best score. Here's what I'm gonna do my runners up first because best score, I okay. love to write to movie scores, and I downloaded four this year into my phone. I downloaded Killers of the Flower Moon, The Killer. Poor things, and of course, my winner is Oppenheimer. Holy God! Uh, do you want to do runner up first? It seems like you. Like, I you think want I'll to do, do runner up. First. Okay, all right. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll just like a pageant, through. they always do runner up let's, first. Because if you award the winner first, no one gives a shit about the runner up. All right, let's you know? do all the things that you want to do. Well, all right. The runner up for me would be Poor Things because it's okay. so weird ah, and so, so weird. specific and and so fun. And then the winner goes to Oppenheimer. Oh my God, we're on a fucking tear. It's <laughs> uh, great. Best sound for me. The ru- it's a runner up, and this was it was going to be like nothing else could compare. But my runner up is the Zone of Interest, which that oh, is yeah. a character that, that probably will like be. get an Oscar nomination, and its score I think will get an Oscar nomination. Yeah, that was. But then my winner is <laughs> Oppenheimer. <laughs> my uh, two for two here. Sound the runner up goes to the killer. And number one, the winner, Oppenheimer. God damn right. The killer was my runner up. And then I just thought about zone of interest. And I'm like, all right, you really got to. The killer does sound good, though. Just what he does with sound, with his That's look, what I with mean. editing. Like, yep. Yeah, it's so yep. unique. Ugh. Best cinematography. My runner up is Eric Mischerschmidt, the killer. And my winner is none other than Hoyte van Hoytema. Oppenheimer, <laughs> who I really oh. hope is going to get an Oscar this year. I don't, I don't know. Please, oh my god. So this is my uh, my my runner up is a movie that's not on my top ten. Oh, um, cool. The, the runners up is Killers of the Flower Moon. Oh yeah, yeah, looked great. And then my winner is Oppenheimer. Man, Oppenheimer's fucking crushing here. Here, this Oscars. Here, this Oscars were right there. All right, screenplay. I did. I forgot. I didn't break down into adapted or original. That's that's okay. That's we can fine. just give it. Yeah. Yeah. I think if I went with adapted, I'd probably do poor things because I really liked I haven't read that, but I liked that adaptation. And then original, I would probably do Anatomy of a Fall. So I, I don't have original or adapted either. I just have yeah, it doesn't. a runner up and a winner. So uh, my runner up is May, December. Yeah. And and then <laughs> my my winner is Anatomy of a Fall. 
Oh, okay, cool, cool. Yep. Yeah. So yep. my, I mean, my original screenplay winner is Anatomy of Fall. Wow, that's great. We're very aligned this year. It's very it, good. It, I, I just like, and I know there's a difference in that whole screenplay thing about like what actually translates to the movie. That's what constitutes like a really good screenplay, but. Because I come from the world of theater, I'm just all about the writing itself, like mm-hmm. what, like characters, how specific can we get, how like like and Anatomy of a Fall is just so friggin' well written. It's crazy. It's just it's it's a sublime example of what good writing should be. And I also think the same thing about May December. Fuck yeah, I love it. Supporting actress. Tough one here. It is tough. She's not gonna spoiler, she's not gonna sneak in. For actress, so maybe a little bit of a cheat, but my runner-up was Sandra Haller for The Zone of Interest, because when I was watching that movie, she was the only thing I could latch onto for any sort of clear narrative, like, what's going on here? You're the only thing I can engage with. It was just a hell of a year for her. Really like her. My winner, and I did have to look if this is the correct category, this is how they're running in the Oscars, my winner for Best Supporting Actress would be Julianne Moore, May, December. Yes, I uh so my my runner up is uh is actually Davine Joy Roundoff who oh, is okay. uh, sweeping everything. She's she is a lock. She was by far and away my favorite part of that movie. Same here. Of the holdovers we're talking about. Yes, and and I and I do think that that she's just absolutely great in it. But the supporting actress winner for me goes to Julianne Moore. Fuck yeah. Fuck yes. yeah. We're crushing. Yes. Supporting actor, this is tough. This is a tough one. But not really. My, I know. Well, my runner-up, I love him. You made me laugh my ass off. Is the rough Mark Ruffalo in you poor things? Right. And then yep. my winner is RDJ for Oppenheimer. I can't help it. I love him in it. Same here, man. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Damn yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. He needs. I need about <laughs> two degrees calm downness in your acceptance speeches rdj there's it's a little it's a little i I don't know you're like in in his critics choice award he's been referencing his own speeches i don't want him to ruin his chances that's what i'm saying be as excited as you want but i don't i don't need him getting up there and winning the sag and being like yep it's pretty clear i deserve this and then the voters hear that and they're like fuck you buddy we're not voting for you for the oscar he's robert downey jr I know. What do you expect from the man? This is who Nothing. he is. It, it, it's, this is exactly what I expect, actually. It's, it's, what he's been it, doing yes. is a, actually a really reined-in version of himself. It, I know that. But come on. I just don't want him to mess it up. That's all. That's all. That's all. I don't, you, I what don't Oscar so. voters do not like is anyone, a director. This is uh, They do not like when people are walking around with an era of, I have this in the bag. They don't like that. And he's... A, a little teetering a little bit on that edge. This is what Jamie Lee Curtis did so well last year. Is she was like, yeah, I want it, but I don't think I'm a lock to win it. There, that, there's a difference. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm well, saying. Well, I mean, all right, whatever. The thing is, whatever. though, that, that, that is um, by far and away, I think, the most stacked category uh, of the it whole is. entire. Supporting actor yeah. stacked. Supporting actor is just such a, like, all of them are great. The screen actors get those nominations were weird. We'll talk about it a little more, but. Uh, Mark Ruffalo not being nominated, but Willem Dafoe being nominated is very odd. And I do not hope that's what happens at the Oscars. Anyway. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. Best actress. This is uh, this is really tough, folks. This is tough. Stay off the Oscars. I'm doing my personal choice. My runner up for best actress is Lily Gladstone and Killers of the Flower Moon. And my winner is 
Emma Stone as Bella Baxter in Poor Things. Yep. This is actually very, very tough for me to have my runner-up not be my number one here, but my runner-up is solidly, solidly Natalie Portman in May, December. Wow, I thought she was going to be your winner. Wow. No, it's got to go to Bella Baxter. Emma Stone. Damn, we're fucking crushing this, man. We're Oh, man, so we're going to... This this isn't going to be the same, though, I guarantee it. Best actor? No, probably not. My... Runner-up is Michael Fassbender in The Killer. I'm the only one who would ever say that. And then my winner, surprise, surprise, is Killian Murphy and Oppenheimer. The question I want to ask is, do you think The Killer will get a single Oscar nomination? Anything. Sound. Anything. I, I, think, it might, I think it might get something for sound or editing. I think it I think might sneak in for sound. Yeah, I, I hope so. That would be great. I used to think not, but yeah. Oh, so that's it. That was my question. All right, yours. As much as we have talked about this movie and dunked on it, um, <laughs> oh, my wow. runner-up for best actor is Bradley Cooper. Okay, okay, yeah, I do very good. I do think that he delivered a, a very, very, very good performance. Um, mm-hmm. And then the winner is Killian Murphy. Oh, okay. by far and away, I'm just saying it right now. That is a next level performance. It holds up under uh, 15 and a half because I still have to finish my 16th viewing. Um, it, it holds up to that level of scrutiny. And he, him, whatever. I'm not going to talk about Oscar shit yet. Whatever. It's, it's all good. Yep. It's yeah, all we'll, good. We'll save it. We'll save it. Moving. We'll save Keep it. moving. That, no, that's it. it. That's it. That's all. No, we got, that, we, got, we got best director. Oh, duh. Idiot. Jesus Christ. Idiot. <laughs> <laughs> I am engaged in research. Um, <laughs> all right. Best director. My runner up is the great. Yorgos Lanthimos, Poor Things. My number one is Christopher Nolan, Oppenheimer. Samesies. Wow. <laughs> Jesus, we're really aligned this year. So yep. that's it. That's what we think of 2023. I love it. I mean, we're going to... I'm. I, there's still some stuff up in the air for nominations. Like, I don't know if Leo's going to get nominated. I don't know. I don't know. I think it's funny to track Oppenheimer's screenplay chances. I don't know if it's going to get nominated for. That's screenplay. the only one. That's the yeah. only one that I don't. Poke I don't. Fun of it. Yeah. Yeah. I. Uh, that's the only one that I don't even know if it'll be nominated. And if it is, I don't know if that would win. But um, I agree. But uh, outside of that one category, and maybe actor, but we'll talk about that later. Um, yeah. We'll see. Baby. I mean, hey, that's well, I was really, really nervous when the first short list they released was for visual effects and Oppenheimer wasn't even listed on it. And we did talk about it. I think a lot of people just get confused. They think visual effects mean CGI, which it doesn't. It can mean the practical like explosions and stuff. So that made me nervous, but it's been featured on every subsequent shortlist, like score and sound and cinematography. It doesn't mean it's going to get nominated, but you know, I'm like, okay, maybe they're in the right way. We'll see how many will it get nominated for. I don't know. On the up on our uh, Oppenheimer update episode, I theorized that is it going to be one of the all timers that gets nominated for the most? I don't think it's going to. I don't think it's going to soar quite that high, but we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, we're, it's going to be an exciting. Oscar season. I just get nervous when a front runner is a movie I like so much. It makes me I so know. nervous because all I see is, or all I'm thinking is, we got two a month and a half, two months of backlash. You know that could happen, but we'll we'll see. I mean, that was great though. That was a lot of fun to record. I like your list. I liked it. Our personalities are both in our list. It's great. Oh, for sure. Yeah, hundred percent. 
What are but you now, watching? Here we go. Now what? we get to the best part of the show. What are you watching? The what are you watching? <laughs> That's the best. <laughs> this is it. I have been I can waiting. Go first, if you want. Oh, yes, oh. yes. You go first because you won't be able to top mine. I probably won't. Probably won't. This was my first honorable mention. Like it would. It doesn't necessarily mean it would be my eleven. It's called The Artifice Girl. And it was a small budget movie. It was directed by a guy named Franklin Rich. It's on VOD. That's how I found it. And it's basically about a guy who figures out how to use AI technology to catch child predators. It's a it's it's a small movie made on a budget. Uh, Lance Henriksen is probably like the biggest name in it, but he's not in it for long. And it's just something I wanted to recommend. I always want to give. Some, we talked about huge movies on this episode, and that's like a small indie one. Something you could see being nominated for like the John Cassavetes Award at the Indie Spirit. You know, something like uh, that. Yeah. I really enjoyed yeah. it. it. It takes some twists and turns. And if you want like a thriller. I started watching it, actually. You did? Oh. I did. Why? Did I mention it? Yeah. Yeah. In, our, uh, in your, in your uh, big breakdown of, uh, of, the mo- of the movies of uh, what was streaming. Oh, Christ. All right. See, I don't even remember this. Yeah. Sh- I knew I had talked about it. I was like, I know I've talked about this movie, but I had to check if I recommended it in What Are You Watching? All right. I knew I had talked about it. So yeah, that's what, is it available free somewhere or did you have to rent it? Yeah, it's on, it's on Voodoo or Voodoo oh, or okay, one great, of good. them. So there you go, folks. Go check. That's what I would recommend. I mean, uh, out of every other thing we've recommended today. <sighs> All right. Now, this is a movie that I'm recommending right here. This movie would be my number one. It would beat Oppenheimer if it could. There is no better movie-going experience I've ever had. Ladies and gentlemen, I, I really Taylor Swift, yes. the Eras Tour <laughs> is you. the movie to see. You can rent it, have a party. <laughs> Get ready to have your life change. Oppenheimer changed Alex's life. Tay-Tay changed mine. Oh, my God. I really appreciate you saving it for this section. Oh, that's great. That's great. You it love almost, it. oh, God, I was so, I, I so want, my, my, my biggest one. crux of the whole entire thing was putting it at number one. And I would, but it's not really a movie, so I can't. But it is a What Are You Watching recommendation. The what are you watching? Recommendation of twenty of twenty twenty three is Taylor Swift. The air twenty twenty three. I'll allow oh, it. I'll allow it. God. We've had a good time. That's great. It's great. Oh, what fun episode! What's left? We will come back with an Oscar nominations episode. We'll come back with, uh, you know, like a month after that, what we think are going to win, what performances. You know, uh, I mean, who knows? And then, of course, we will do the coveted post-Oscar show directly after the Oscars. Hey, maybe this year we'll do a, a, a Oscars commentary. We'll do it live and we'll, we'll have a oh, four-hour episode. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of funny to think about, actually. By um, the way, no. who's coveting that episode? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> our, not coveting, but our, 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 our highly anticipated, I think, is what you're looking for. I'm excited. It's a good year. All love to Leo. We know he needs it right now. <laughs> After uh, your I love slander. Leo. Love no. Leo. Love Let Leo. us know what you liked this year. Let us know what you didn't like. On Twitter, Instagram, letterboxed, at W-A-Y-W underscore podcast. But as always, thanks for listening and happy watching. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening. You can watch my films and read my movie blog at alexwithrow.com. 
NicholasDostal.com is where you can find all of Nick's film work. Send us mailbag questions at whatareyouwatchingpodcast at gmail.com or find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at W-A-Y-W underscore podcast. Next time, we'll break down the 2024 Oscar nominations. And wow, am I nervous. What's going to get in? What's going to get snubbed? Stay tuned.